Grace and peace, beloved St. Lukers and friends, and welcome to another episode of Your Week with St. Luke's, our weekly podcast that looks at the scriptures that will be preached the following Sunday. And we are currently in a sermon series called 24 and More, where we're learning more about God's strategic vision for St. Luke's in this, this next season of our life and ministry together as a church. And today, we're looking at the strategic pillar of discipleship and evangelism, what it means to be leaders in our community uh, and make a difference for revealing the kingdom uh, and awakening disciples, reaching and discipling new people with the grace and love of Jesus. Our, our scripture text for today is Jeremiah 29, 11, and I'm going to read to you from the Common English Bible. It's just one verse, um, so, so hear this as I, as I read it. I know the plans I have in mind for you, declares the Lord. They are plans for peace, not disaster, to give you a future filled with hope. Well, first, a few things about the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah is the longest prophetic book in the Hebrew Bible in terms of, of words and, and verses, and it's clearly the most complex prophetic book in all of the Hebrew Bible in its structure and flow of thought, and when it comes to the person and role of, of the prophet, and also when we're considering the historic setting of, of Jeremiah. Its complexity is even more so found in that it's deeply anchored in suffering, written for survivors of war and exile, people who have experienced great pain and trauma. Well, a few things about this, this prophet. Jeremiah is a prophet from Anathotha. <laughs> I'm not great at pronouncing that, uh, but it's a small village in the hills of Benjamin. And Jeremiah is a descendant of uh, Abiathar, uh, who is one of two chief priests of King David. And you can find references to that in 1 Samuel 22 through 23 and 2 Samuel chapter 20. Now, King Solomon uh, banished this relative of Jeremiah back to his hometown because he supported Solomon's rival uh, to David's throne. So Jeremiah has a strong criticism of the house of David and the Jerusalem temple uh, because of his Levitical and uh, Benjaminite uh, heritage, those two heritages that he has. Something else is that Jeremiah's theology is mosaic, that's Moses in, in nature, emphasizing the tradition of the exodus from Egypt, um, the wilderness wandering, and the gift of the land of Canaan. And all of that is, is wrapped in the, what's called the Sinai Covenant. So the, the book of Jeremiah has several types of liturgy um, that numerous editors uh, have, have uh, been at before the book took its current form. And then the three, three primary works of literature are poetic oracles of judgment, narratives about moments in Jeremiah's life, and sermons or speeches or letters from Jeremiah to various groups of people, most particular the, the, the Israelite people who are in exile in Babylon. And the text 
places Jeremiah's call to prophecy in the 13th year of King Josiah, and that year is 627 BCE. King Josiah, the great King Josiah, is known for his quest to bring religious reform um, and that reaffirmation of the covenant of Moses and, and a centralizing worship of Adonai, of God Almighty, in Jerusalem. This, this effort for reform, though, ended uh, with his death in 609 BCE. With Babylon soon after that, conquering and exiling the first group of Israelites in 597, and then 10 years later, roughly 10 years later, the second group in 587. Now, Jeremiah initially chose to stay in Jerusalem, uh, but later he was forced to go into Egypt in exile after the assassination of the Babylonian-appointed Judean governor. Things were getting hot and rough. And so that's kind of what's happening uh, from this prophet in the history of the people of Israel. Um, they have been at their pre-exile and then they're in exile. Now, we're in chapter 29 and we have uh, three, maybe two letters or sermons uh, of Jeremiah that address issues that were raised in earlier chapters of the book, especially those of, of false hope among those exiles in, in Babylon. They've been listening to other prophets and other leaders and it's developing a, a false hope while they're in exile. Now, there is special attention in this first letter, Jeremiah 29, verse 1 through 23, to elders, priests, and prophets among the exiles. It's most likely that the letter was delivered and read out loud uh, by Eliasha and Jer um, Jeremiah, um, uh, who King Zedekiah sent as emissaries to the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. That's, that's how these were sent to the people in exile in Babylon. And the content uh, of the letter is represented as a word from the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel. And God's address is made to the exiles generally, unlike the specific nature of verse 1. This letter is a combination of two things, the exhortation to the, Israel, the, the exiles, an announcement of judgment relevant to their listening to these prophetic voices among them that's giving them false hope. The basic drive of, of this letter to the exiles is found in verse 5 through 7, and it's telling them that these people, these, these, these people of Israel who are in Babylon, exiled in Babylon, uh, they need to settle down. They need to settle in to Babylon for the long haul. It will be 70 years before God will act to deliver them. And as signs of their acceptance of this divine strategy, that their trust in the ancient divine prophecy, they should build houses, the text says, plant gardens. They should marry and have children, and they will even have grandchildren born in exile. Settle in. You're going to be here a while. The, the assumption in the language here is that God will be present and active in their daily lives, even in this foreign land, even among people they name as their enemies. 
verses 8 and 9 consist of exhortations to be beware, be weary of the false prophets. We're giving them false hope. And then that leads us to verse 10 through 14, which contains our primary text for today, verse 11. And it consists of assurances regarding a future salvation with implications for the present situation for the exiles. These words of hope provide a a transition to the book of consolation, which is that next section, chapter 30 through 33, where this is a, a nice transition from one thing to the next. And these verses here, verse 10 through 14, refer to a promised experience for the exiles that they, that while still in Babylon, and not just afterwards, it's not later someday, it's later someday, but also still here while in Babylon. Verse 10 seems to be a, sum, uh, a, sum, <laughs> a summary announcement of future salvation within our text in verse 11, being a reference to these divine plans for restoration for the future, when and only when the 70 years have been completed, will God act on these plans and bring the exiles back home. Given the length of time, these 70 years, the the you of the text, in effect, means several generations of exiles, right? That's that settle in again. It seems that verse 11 through 14 belong together in a fuller statement of God's ongoing promised relationship to the exiles. They may feel like they're far away. The temple has been destroyed. They're they're not in uh, the land that's been promised to them. They're not close to the temple. Verse 11 through 14, they're this fuller statement of God's ongoing promise of relationship to the exiles. Climaxing in verse 14 in the deliverance. God surely knows what plans God intends with respect to the the people of Israel's future, with their future. And therefore, Israel can rest back in that divine knowledge and intention. God's plans, which is mentioned three times here, are are God's designs uh, for these people In view of God's promises, those plans for the people of Israel are plans for its welfare. The the text literally says shalom, their peace, their well-being, their their wholeness, while still in exile and not for its harm. The word here for harm has been used quite frequently so far in Jeremiah in the first 29 chapters and in talking about the disaster experienced by the people of Israel as a consequence of their own wickedness, right? The loss of their great king, uh, the exile not being in their land. And as far as the exiles are concerned, they're no longer they no longer have to worry about distress and disaster, even though their plans have been evil, according to chapter 18. 
So he's using this same language of, of disaster before now saying, I have plans that aren't to be disastrous for you. There's a, there's a calming sense about the reuse of language, but in a positive context. God intends sure that they have a future filled with hope. God seeks to assure the exiles that their past wickedness does not shape their future. God has plans for them characterized by a comprehensive peace, again, shalom, well-being, and a stability in their own land. God has these kinds of plans for the people of Israel while they are still in exile. The exiles, they can be assured that God will hear them now, even when they're far away from the temple that's been destroyed, so they can call upon God and come before God in prayer. It's a great text of hope and assurance. So today, we read this text as people who aren't in an actual exile, but yet people who oftentimes may feel disconnected from our God or our community or a substantial feeling of relationship with purpose and meaning and God in this world. And the great hope in this text for us today may be in that God is still with us no matter where we find ourselves, whether we sense God's presence God is still here. Whether we sense purpose and meaning in this moment, God is still with us. And that in community, we have a connection to God. And that no matter our circumstance, we, like the people in exile, can still pray. We can still worship. We can still gather together. And in doing so, we can build a more substantial community of faith here in our corner of Southwest Orlando, that we can grow stronger no matter the circumstance, that, that we can reach out in concern and compassion uh, for our neighbors, that we can reach out and share the good news of Jesus Christ and grow, help them grow in their faith, that we as disciples can disciple others to know that no matter their circumstance of, of exile or not or whatever that looks like for them, that God is still with them. We can be discipled in a way that assures them of God's love for them. Another component that adds to uh, this next Sunday, along with this text and the vision pillar, is that this coming Sunday is also All Saints Day Sunday. All Saints Day is November 1st. The day before, the day before that is October 31st, and it's called All Hallows all Saints, All Hallows' Eve, which is where the name Halloween comes from. All Saints' Day is the day in the Christian year where saints who have gone before us on to heaven, onto glory, in this past year are remembered and honored. Much in the same way that we now read Jeremiah and remember the exiled people and their struggle with false hope and, and Jeremiah's words that God is still with you. Hold fast to that, that no matter where you are, you can still pray to God. You can still worship God. You can still be connected to God. I give thanks for all of the beloved St. Luke's saints who have gone before us, especially this past year, who have been uh, that 
presence of hope and assurance of God's presence and love. Well, I hope and pray that as you dive into this text more throughout this week and have conversation in your life together groups or Bible study groups, that you'll have a conversation about how you might feel sometimes in exile. Or there have been times in your life where you felt like you could relate to the people of Israel who are in exile in Babylon. You're oftentimes given false hope with cliches that are quilted on a pillow. And yet, we hear a fresh word from Jeremiah and know God is here, God is with you, and God has better things in store for you. So pray to God, worship God, and be in community, because that is where God is.